1: Welcome to the Ball's Heart Liberty Podcast. This is episode number 203 of E-Central and His Favorite Podcast. Jeremiah Morrill here, joined by video producer, producer, co-host, Zach Burcham. Uh, on my hard right is uh, Kyle Robbins returning. You're in the co-host chair this week, man. Yeah. Congratulations. We've doubled your pay. <laughs> you've got You've got a live microphone to complain about anything and everything you need to and want to. Sounds good. Uh, and it comes with almost no responsibility. So it should work out, should work out (laughs) great. And it's all over Facebook. And it's all over Facebook. We've, we're 203 episodes in and we've never cost anybody a job. So I think, I think we're either due or we're going to be okay. Yeah, pressure's on then. You never know. And then, uh, our guest this week is going to be John Orivitz. Uh, we've been sitting here hanging out for, uh, (laughs) the last 20 minutes or so. We did a cool Patreon. John is a, uh, are you on i'm not oh, oh i am you're yes, there am. you're a questioning producer video producer audio producer zach's Sorry. skill set
2: let me go back to chair number two <laughs> of three for the night you're
1: the guy that likes to do the marathons and run so having you having three workspaces seems it'd just be nice if there wasn't
2: 400 foot of cable between each desk <laughs> well uh, i'm gonna take out that light one day or the camera I, I, we're doing the best we can, man. Yeah. I don't know.
1: It's a, it's a small miracle that it is, is pulled together as it is.
2: And something fell out of the computer and I plugged it back in. I think it goes back there, but in the confusion <laughs> of, uh, getting my peek into Dakota's marriage, um, <laughs> I don't know if I got it, if I was supposed to plug it back in or not.
1: <laughs> well, if you see a message that, that seems important, your excuse to go, go press yeah. buttons and, and, and fix things as, as needed. I'm trying to watch the uh I'm taking a look at the chat and it doesn't act like anybody's saying that's uh, that they can't hear it. So we're gonna assume that things are things are pointing north and they're going well. All right. So uh Zach, we did the Patreon. We covered uh we covered Indiana's crazy ass weather. Yeah. And uh a, a fantasy indie car. Yep. Very much worth any a donation at any level to the to yeah. the show. Yeah. Plus you get the show notes every week, uh dropped into the uh, super secret Patreon Facebook group. Uh so you've got access to know what we're doing, and there's a lot of links in here. Very important links to uh, to to our author John's uh, John's books. How to find them? How to how to find more information and and stories that we're doing. I'll I did the show my notes kids this week. College, you know, we're trying. You're trying to make it happen. We're, we're, this is like two out of the last three weeks we've had authors. It's been fun, and I don't want to brag too much about the reach of this show. But like two years ago, there was a guy who was selling chicken waterers, and he said, "Hey." Let's run a special on Boss Hog of if you buy this chicken, what just who the hell thinks you need a chicken waterer and that this is the audience to do it. But he said, Hey, we'll give you, you know, here, here's a promo code, Boss Hog. If you go buy the farmer Brad, Brad chicken Br- waterer and he mess, we haven't talked about it in a year and a half. He messages me yesterday and said, Hey, we just sold a chicken waterer. <laughs> <laughs> How somebody remembered. So that's like the third one we sold. And I said, this is never, this is a great joke. I love it. It fits. Yeah, the- it's been it fits a while. the show. Uh, it fits it fits the the BS nature of we are we talk about small town stupidity. That's the core of the show. And it's whatever we find interesting. That's that's what we talk about. Uh, so we talked about chickens and chicken waterers. We've had a running joke about urban chickens and local chickens. So chicken water made a lot of sense. And son of a gun, farmer Brad sold a chicken water
3: this week. Thanks to boss hog. So I should have been paying closer attention to the conversations at the park restaurant. Oh I was my gosh. Before you, the show.
1: Yes. You told me you had the, you had breakfast for dinner. I did. I had a delicious ribeye
3: steak with scrambled eggs, hash nice. browns. Fantastic.
1: You could barely get a table. I was in there on Tuesday night. Uh, and I, I had to go to the very far end of the building to find a table for five because I'm an incredibly social person. I couldn't do just a table for four. I had I had a big group of five, uh, and it was uh, it was fantastic. Yeah, I, mean, I got they,
2: the fried chicken. They they filled the a gap nicely because yeah. After Bill's Diner burned down, we would like we need a diner. We didn't have a di- we well, we had the early bird, but the early bird's pretty small and it's closed for dinner. Yeah, yeah, open for dinner. The park's solid. It's a solid diner option, and every town
1: needs one. And they have homemade dinner, homemade well homemade dinners, but homemade desserts. Did you get a dessert? Did they talk you into
3: pie? I did not. But uh, having seen the fried chicken on the menu and being the fried chicken connoisseur that I am, uh, it may merit a trip back. It was, uh, you know, people jokingly look at me for my food recommendations. And uh, so I can I can safely say that if you're in Newcastle, the park restaurant does get a <laughs> two thumbs up, two thumbs up. I, I, it, t- in, it's in a
1: strip mall. <laughs> and you think, why in the world is a park, the park restaurant in a strip mall in Newcastle? And like everything. Do you know the story, Kyle? No, I do not. You're a Newcastle guy and you don't know yeah, how to but I've, been away, I've
3: been away for a little while. It says that it's three generations.
1: So there was a park restaurant in the city park in Rushville and they had a fire. It burnt like 10 years ago. And they reopened a location in Milroy, which is a town halfway between Newcastle and Rushville while they were dealing with the fire. They never did rebuild the park in in Rushville, but they found another old location on Main State Road three in Rushville, and they opened that location. But they had so many Newcastle people that were going to Milroy that they said we're just gonna have a Newcastle location too. So now there's two park restaurants. Neither one of them are in a park, but they're both and they're both on State Road three.
2: But they do great. I think the one's close. Yeah, the one in Rushville's I think close to the park. But yeah, it's it's, it's adjacent to it. Yeah, it's right next to the hospital. But the like old that. one used to be right in the park.
1: Yeah. yeah. So there you go. And that we, that is news we did not think we were going to get into today, but that's what you get here at Boston. And
2: we did we did need a we needed a diner pretty bad. So well, some of us are big fans of stacks, De Montgomerys. Gets. We have so stacks many local restaurants yeah. we talk
1: about and frequent. Weenie World, Weenie
3: Oh my gosh, weenie, have World, you been to weenie World. It's a gem. I have been to Weenie World. I was a little disappointed in the Weenie. Well, it's the ice cream. Well,
1: it's about the ice cream now and the tenderloin. So the, Weenie World. A lot of restaurants. A lot of these stories are:
2: Hey, the restaurant burned down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Weenie World is a is a derivative of our former Bill's Diner. Maniacally. Yes, because <laughs> Bill's Bill's Diner is, used to be where the car lot is next to Weenie World, and so they moved some of the offerings over. Some so of the menu moved. So, like, yeah, if you get the jumbo,
3: tenderloin, oh, that's the Bill's tenderloin. I've seen that is Bill's it on Diner. Your social media. Yes. Okay, yep. And is it is it truly a good tenderloin? It's it's massive. Uh, it's yeah. uh, well, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good.
1: People, so there's there's two kinds of tenderloins. There's a hand. This is Indiana talk for you guys that are listening in Hawaii and, and far off distant places. There's two kinds of a tenderloin. There's a there's a real pork tenderloin that's pounded out and it's it's real, right. And then there's a cutlet, which or, is, or, a, or, fritter. or a fritter, a fritter, a fritter. People yeah, call them yes, yeah. Uh, there's a fritter, which is uh, not the superior uh, tenderloin, but you can get a massive tenderloin when that's you go a, fritter.
3: A fritter is a professional foul, especially if it's advertised as a tenderloin. So that's, that is what you will find if you find the jumbo tenderloin. For, for example, Robin Miller's beloved mug and bun drive-in serves a fritter, a fritter, not a tenderloin. Yes. But if you are in Speedway, Dawson's on Main. Uh, they have a real tenderloin. They have a superb tenderloin. Uh, barbecue and Bourbon has a superb tenderloin as well. So there you go. More dining advice. Speedway, Speedway
2: is a tiny little town with solid food options. Because uh, Charlie Brown's is a staple for race weekend for me for breakfast. You never know who you run into while you're in there. And they have a solid breakfast as well. And then we hit Mug and Bun in the evening. I forgot we're finishing the intro. <laughs> this show is about our lives in
3: well, rural Indiana. I have, I have to get one more plug-in since we've Go mentioned for Mug and Bun. Go for there it. There's actually a separate business behind the Mug and Bun drive-in. And it's called Mug and Bun Pizza. Really? It is It is a separate business. It is carry-out only. It's only open from like 5 to 9, Wednesday through Sunday. And the pizzas, my son likes the pizza. He, he thinks it's very good. My girlfriend likes the pizza. They have... Pork chop and chicken dinners that are just phenomenal. Uh bro- You know, roasted potatoes yeah. that they hand cut there. Fried biscuits, apple butter, applesauce, the whole works. So that is that is actually my top t- tip for dining in Speedway. Mug and bun pizza behind the drive-in. See, my dad is a big Pasquale's guy.
1: Being a New Yorker, he says, go get the Pasquale's on 10th Street. Uh, the, t- on, on 16th There is Street. one on 16th, 16th
3: right, yeah, by, yes. right by the high on the hill, the head shop. Yes, yeah.
2: That's not too far from the former Taco
3: Bell, though. You really want to venture? <laughs> hey, that? that place is blown up. It's called California Burger. Yeah, it's now, like a and there's fifteen cars in line all the time. Yeah. I hear it's not that good, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's busy.
4: Yeah, they did a thing on the news or whatever. They were talking about people are waiting like half a day just to get a cheeseburger.
3: So back to intros. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> we interrupt this hijacked that's, podcast. Uh, that's that's I, what st- we I,
2: I didn't get a chance to eat dinner before I came, so it doesn't take long to distract me there. <laughs> so, but. Uh, but yeah, we, we had some weather yesterday, but it's nice and cozy in here. And that's because we're going to thank all the Patreon people to help keep the bills paid here because it keeps the heat on. And, well, it's like we might need air conditioning next week. Um, I barely turned the heat on. I
1: remembered when I walked in the door, I said, it feels cool in here. It's like 57 degrees. So I, <laughs> Normally, I hit the Nest thermostat and it kicks on and it's nice and comfortable in here, but it's, uh, it's catching up.
2: So we're going to thank Chris Lamb. And Christy Avery from Fort Wayne, and then everybody's favorite car salesman, even though I haven't bought a car from him, but everybody else has. You haven't them.
1: bought a car yet.
2: Yet. Yeah. Jonathan Phillips. And then I'll hop on the uh, chat in a minute here. We'll post the T-Chip store links, which is where you can buy all your Boss Hog of Liberty merch, which is uh, T-Chip.com backslash B-H-O-L-1. I don't know where Andrew Bowman is. This is his job <laughs> if I'm on the show. Uh, one, two, three, or four, then B-H-O-L mug. You can get the color changing mug. And we still have some, uh, some masks and the neck gator in there because you're, if you're going to go to the track in the month of May, you're going to need those. So they're not gone yet.
1: No news on whether or not neck gators are going to be allowed though. When I went to the the basketball game at Banker's Life, it was, if you have a neck gator, go back to your car and try again.
2: Yeah, they don't. G- count. Gators were unacceptable. They don't, I know they don't count of Disney. Disney either it has to be like a two layer mask. So I'm like, I'm actually looking at getting like I need to upgrade my masks for the month of May if I'm going to spend that much time in one. I need one that doesn't give me tan lines. Probably. <laughs> but, let's be I've got.
1: I bought the 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 footage. Zach and I did the same thing, and I bought the full size Wood Brothers mask that they had for their crew when they were selling them at the first NASCAR race back. They're like, these. our crew guys are going to live in these and they're going to be fine and it's okay. And I'm like, well, I'm a big guy. I want a big mask. And I've been rocking that thing the entire time, but it's black. And uh, yeah, if I'm going to be outside for six, seven, eight hours a day and it's going to be You need to have a wardrobe of, May, of masks these days. I need these multiple days, masks. You know, for
3: style reasons, for cleanliness and hygiene. Yeah, I've got
2: the yeah, I've right. got the net gaiters for that, but apparently they're not appropriate. So yeah, I need to like I'm looking at like the Under Armour one or something. I know the kid got one of those and liked it. So tell
4: you what, K and air filters actually make a really good one. That's the one when we had to wear them at work. Those are the ones I got, and they're really? actually really breathable. And
1: are they a lifetime one? You just have to oil it from time <laughs> to time.
3: That makes sense. That a
4: filter. <laughs> yeah, they, they give you a little. They give you a little mask. pack of that with each mask, so
2: <laughs> keeps all the. I've already got, got a K and awesome. recharging kit at home. I'm good to go.
4: <laughs> I'm going to ask
1: uh, Kyle to pull his mic away just a touch. That way, it will not make Zach go do another job. Uh, cause you're, you've got a big booming voice today.
4: Yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to seem alive.
1: You are. You're doing great. (laughs) All right, John. You We used to hear you on talk radio all the time. You were a featured guest on, on a a number of podcasts and radio shows. What
3: happened to them? I don't know. What the hell happened?
1: I don't know. The people, I was like, well, hell, I, I want to talk to Oreo. This is going to be great. You used to do, uh, I think the Indiana talk stuff. You would do, uh, oh, hell, I, uh, I was on Gary the, Snyder, right?
3: Did you do the Gary Snyder show from time to time? I've done with Greg Rakestraw's yeah, show Rakestraw. on there. Um, yeah. You know, I was a regular back in the day on JMV and yeah. uh, the other local programs in Indianapolis, but... no um, one doesn't ring it nearly enough. Well, there needs to be more lose, racing talk all the, the way around. You lose your byline and, and people lose interest <laughs> in you. But, uh, so we'll, we'll but, say but the, freelance, the good thing, the good thing is, is that interest is back with the publication of this upcoming book. I was going to say this is... So the,
1: the reason that I invited you on at this time... Uh, but it's an open invitation, and you can come back next week if you want to. We're talking to Daryl Radford, formerly of the Courier Times. He lost his byline; he retired. Uh, local, uh, local. Uh, he legend. probably had a fallout plan, though. Like <laughs> <me>. <laughs> yeah, I think his plan is just. To he be, was like
2: his fourth to retirement be, I to think be grandpa. He was, I think he was uh, hoping they don't call him back for the fifth time.
1: <laughs> Do you want to work for a small town newspaper covering city council meetings in Newcastle? Because between retirements they need somebody to cover for daryl here <laughs> so uh
3: you wrote, you've all i need to boats. do is just hang out at the park restaurant you will get, that, all you get all you need to news, know right
1: and if you see two or more commissioners gathered that's a that's a problem <laughs> and it makes it for great great copy uh and that happened <laughs> uh, oh my gosh well this is not one of those shows um but uh yeah don't have meetings outside of, outside of public meetings. That's, that's the, that's the lesson to be Top learned. Top tip for the day, right? Yes. Uh, it happens all the time. Uh, so John brought, uh, one book that's actually in print and ready to go now. Uh, and I was blown away at the, uh, at the pictures because I haven't had time to read it because it's been here for three minutes. But it is, uh, Time Flies, The History of Pac-West Racing. Cover of it is, uh, Scott Dixon's Win in 2000? 2001. 2001. Uh, Nazareth Speedway in Pennsylvania. Um, John was working for the team at the time? I was not. I was you were, actually in, you were,
3: back in the media. You were back time. in the media, okay. But in 1997, when PacWest had their best season, uh, Mauricio Guzman had three pole positions and uh, and won a race, and Mark Blundell won three times. I was the PR guy for the team uh, in 97 and 98. In the take, FedEx take, in, uh, series? In was, Yes, I guess it was. 97, it was kind of a nameless series. <laughs> it was still the PPG IndyCar World Series. But they had to drop IndyCar for legal reasons. But, yes, it became the FedEx Championship Series in 1998. 1998. And then the new
1: book that, uh, that's not yet out but is is very exciting is the, uh, the political book, The Split.
3: Well, it is Indy Split. And I think anybody that's followed IndyCar racing for the last 50 years knows that there hasn't been a whole lot of harmony in the sport. And on several occasions, most notably in the late seventies and again, in the mid nineties, there was outright hostility that resulted in two competing IndyCar series for a while. And the second split, the one that, that my book focuses on, uh, was the, the cart IRL split, uh, that went from 96 to 2008 and finally got resolved. But, uh, in many ways really didn't get closure until recently. So
1: when I, with a, the- when I first saw the book, and I, I immediately said, "Why? Why does John think this story needs to be told now?" You're just the the first reaction that some people are going to say is that there's that it's you're reopening old wounds. We're finally past it. Why do we have to do this now? And then I, the more I've read, the more I've thought, "Well, no, it's history. You have to talk about it, and it and it helps you understand why and how. And it's it's probably far enough in the rearview mirror that it's appropriate to to start doing to 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 write these stories."
3: Well, that's fair to say and it's it's coincidental that it's coming out on the 25th anniversary of what people think is the flashpoint of the 96 split where there was a US 500 run at Michigan Speedway on the same day that the 96 Indy 500 was run it's the topic never really went away and that's that's one of the things is that yes the split ended in 2008 and champ car and and the IRL merged or unified or amalgamated or Went Bank, whatever you want to call it, it it did become one series then. But Tony George, within the next couple of years, he was kind of gone, and the sport struggled, continued to struggle for leadership, and that's been a theme for for decades. You know, looking for the right front man or the right leader for it. And I don't think that there was actually real closure until Roger Penske bought the Speedway and the series, yeah, um, late nineteen, early to early twenty. And I think that finally, even though. Everybody's been together racing under the same umbrella since 2008. I think a lot of the wounds still didn't heal, and, and it needed to symbolically move on to new leadership um, and, and, and fresh leadership. And, and from that perspective, it couldn't be any better than Penske. I mean, nobody loves the Speedway and the Indy 500 more than Roger Penske. And to the Holman-George family's credit, they identified the right buyer. They identified arguably the only guy that really cared enough to to look past all of the everything else that was there yeah i mean and and penske loves that place so much and you can see what just by what he's done in in the year that he's owned the place i mean it's it's got a fresh coat of paint or a fresh coat of sod everywhere um he's he's I'm, applied some love to the track that had been missing for a little while i'm looking forward to my permission slip to go back inside of the track again
1: <laughs> this year we're, we're, lit, we're just putting the toe in the water every Every day, we get just a little closer to actually having having the access we might have had two or three years ago. Yeah. Uh, pre We
2: pre- got Canada. in a little bit in October, and I ran around the track uh, on race day in August last year. And so I was like, man, he put some But that's all I've seen was just like staring in the fence at a lot of the sections because we just weren't allowed in a lot of areas. I've been to the museum. Yeah. I've, been, I mean, I've had the chance to
1: go
3: into the museum since. Now, uh, the museum's not it. part of the Penske ownership, but that it, there's been substantial upgrades there as well. And they really do a nice job of rotating exhibits these days. They've got a Rick Mears exhibit that's opening soon, uh, if not already. Andy Granatelli is.
1: I, I know I was there, and it was that was still in there a month or two ago. Yeah, but that's
3: the last time I was there yeah. as well. But they've got a Rick Mears exhibition opening up, and um, and some new leadership at the museum too. Again, it's it's not part of the Penske. It's an independent uh, organization. It is, and it's it's a a nonprofit now. Yep. Um, so its mission has changed somewhat uh, under what it was with the Holman family. But uh, Rob Dyson, the longtime sports car racer, is now the chairman of the board of the Speedway Museum. I think that's going to. Rob's got a lot of uh, connections out there and in the, in the vintage world and everything. And I think that I think ultimately their goal is they they need a new building. They the, the museum it's. Especially if you look at places like the NASCAR Hall of Fame and everything, it's it makes the IMS Museum look a bit quaint. But they've done a great job with the limitations that they have. They need more. They need more square footage. They, they do. They, they, they've they've continued to add. The back
1: wing of that building is which used to be office space. Yeah,
2: yeah I didn't recall that being open. I remember the first time I went back there, I was like, "This is a great room because it's got a killer view, because you can see the tracks in the background." And I was like, "Where was where's where's this been for my entire life?" It was then. Tony's office. <laughs> was it? <Can> I- <laughs> That's a nice office, but yeah, and the the vault exhibit was really good because you always kind of wonder, like, oh, they've got some cars, and mostly, and then they have some like heavy hitters in their collection that aren't necessarily IndyCar related. Um Like you mentioned, you'd uh, known somebody that was involved with NART. They have the the last Le Mans winning Ferrari that was an NART Ferrari, and I, I was went to that exhibit. I was reading the description of this, and I was like. No way. This yeah. museum has got this sitting in the collection. Yeah, that's the Yachin Rent car from yeah. 1965, I think. They have that one, and they have an old Mercedes. Evidently, Mercedes
3: desperately wants back. But, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you uh, that very few of those Mercedes factory cars are out in the in the public domain. And the factory donated that car to Tony Holman, to the Speedway, in the 1960s, I want to say. 70s at the latest. And it doesn't surprise me that they want it yeah. back. yeah. Good stuff they pay for a couple of extra Indy 500 entries for Vision Racing if uh
1: they sold it. Oh, that could that could <laughs> that could fund a team for like a while.
3: It's Ed Carpenter Racing. Now. Oh, yeah. yes, uh,
1: yes, you're uh, that is correct. That's correct. I, I just know a young USAC driver that could use it, could use a shot.
3: Yep,
4: well, we uh we got the shop thing covered, kind of. We uh we need a little more parking space. No, not a shop, a shot.
3: Oh, a, a shot. shot. Oh,
4: yeah, yeah. No, well, I'll take a shot. They have vaccines
3: day. at the Speedway. They have clinics almost every day.
1: That's true. If I fall asleep, by the way, it's because I got my final shot today. I am fully vaccinated and approved to go to the Speedway. I have my permission slip from the state of Indiana.
3: I'm fully vaccinated as well. I got mine at the Speedway. Unfortunately, when they filled out my card, they filled the date out incorrectly as 5-3 instead of 3-5. So in Uh-oh. theory, I have not been vaccinated
1: <laughs> it's until May 3rd. <laughs>
3: oh, no. <laughs>
2: That's a that that may be problematic. What's now, the wind? No, it, well, you, you have to have one shot
3: one week before I think for week two access. This well, I year. got the Johnson and Johnson, so oh, I'm you're one, one and, done. and done. Assuming I don't clot yeah. up and
1: die. If you've made it this far, you're probably going to be okay. Maybe
3: you're a month in. You're fully. You've got full immunity. I am either right. six weeks in or three weeks, two yeah. weeks short. You're so. premature. <laughs> 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 we'll find out.
1: All I know is I, I've, I've told this story a couple of times. Pretty much every time we've done a show since uh, since my first vaccination, the first two nights I slept like a baby. So I'm I I, I may fall asleep immediately on this show. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. We'll, we're going to do our best. So the the split book. I know that you did share some pictures of some of the all, access that you've had and some of the research that went into making this. You had stuff going back to the white papers from the seventies. You had. There were some just phenomenal documents that that you shared a, a big a big dump, uh, it, the cart I think even in the
3: cart era, uh, Greg some reports from Greg Moore's crash. Yeah, I didn't post anything about that. I, I did just kind of post a picture of the Dan yeah. Weldon report. Maybe that was um, it. There were there were two or three and all in one time that I thought that struck me. Yeah, there was a memo from Carl Haas that was pretty funny where he watched the. You watched the IRLs race at Phoenix in 1997, which is, it's it's kind of a famous race. It was their second race with their new Dallara and G Force cars and, and Oldsmobile and Nissan normally aspirated engines. And um, they had some pretty significant engine problems. They had a hard time keeping these Carl engines. Haas was a cart owner. Carl Haas was Champ a cart owner. owner. So he watched the IRL race on TV. And it was the famous race that Jim Guthrie won. The guy from Blueprint Racing—he's you know a guy that towed the car in on the back of a flatbed, and he owned a body shop in Albuquerque, and and his friends all pitched in to to keep him running, and it was the ultimate small timer, and and Tony Stewart finished second driving for Menard, and it was, I think, hundred and ten out of two hundred laps were run under at least ninety laps out of two hundred were run under caution, and it's you know it had like an eighty-five mile an hour average speed. It was it was a farce and and carl haas called it just that <laughs> and it just it, it was interesting just to go back i was fortunate to see a couple of um archives of interesting material and it it's it's fascinating to, to get a behind the scenes look of of things that people don't get to see and see the kind of talk that's going on behind the scenes and so the genesis of, of the, the split
1: moment was the series versus cart and who was going to have control of the series and the ownership but and, and schedules and allocation of money. There were there were two competing interests, the
3: Speedway versus the owners that had the rest of the series. Yeah, they and, kind of repeated what happened in 1979. Cart was formed in 1979 not to take over the Indy 500, not to take over the management of IndyCar racing, but because… Cart felt that the sport was not performing commercially in the 70s. You had the Indy 500 which was this massive event, but the team owners as as times changed and the team owners were more than just wealthy sportsmen that ran the Indy 500, they needed a series, a year-long series of races to help them sustain their teams as businesses. They looked at the example of what happened in Formula 1 where one of the team owners, a guy called Bernie Ecclestone, got the team owners together, and they took over the commercial rights of the sport. They marketed it, they sold the television rights, and as such, they brought a much greater revenue stream than themselves to ensure their survival. CART tried to take over or or proposed taking over the marketing aspects of, of the sport from USAC, and USAC rebuffed them, and it resulted in a split in 1979 where CART ran a series of races and United States Auto Club ran a series of races that happened again in 1996, but the key difference is, is in 1979, the cart guys always intended to run the Indy 500 and, in fact, went to court to get their way into the to make Indy sure 500 in. because USAC tried to hold them out. In the 96 split, once Tony George announced the IRL and then secondly announced that 75% of the grid at every IRL race would be reserved for IRL points leaders. The infamous, tw- infamous,
1: 25, the infamous and eight rule. twenty-five
3: and eight rule, because those were the numbers of how it would extrapolate to the Speedway with a thirty-three car grid. When Tony made that move, CART decided, "Well, we're not going to support his races," and they made the decision to go into competition with him, which was somewhat different than. I mean, yes, they ran their own series of races in '79, but they intended to be at the 500. This time, they they put on a race in competition on with the same 500. Day. And we all know how that turned out. Yeah. And then
1: it, you had the politics or the sniping back and forth in the, you had a very fierce 96 through 2002, I would say, where you didn't have a lot of 96 through 99, where there was really no crossover at all. Teams didn't switch back right. and
3: forth. I mean, for the, for very, the, for very for the very end fierce. of the 90s, CART was very strong. Yep. Their attendance didn't fall much. Their sponsorship didn't fall. Their TV numbers dropped a little between 96 and 99. But the bottom line is, is up till two thousand, they were still looking very strong. Um, you know, the IRL was kind of putt-putting along and and um, certainly maintaining its level, but it wasn't really causing any type of threat to the card series. And and the biggest thing that happened in the late nineties is that when Tony brought the IRL out and he presented the Indianapolis five hundred with a different field, and then starting a year later. A, you know, different cars, these IRL cars, which were bigger and bulkier. And I mean, let's be honest, they were shitbox race cars compared to the cart cars at the time. He tried to present a cut rate product as the Indy 500, and it didn't affect the Indy 500 as much as it affected all the other races. You immediately saw the attendance went to zero at Phoenix, at New Hampshire, at all these IRL races. And, and Tony, the sad thing is he, he, he was trying to protect and grow the oval part of the sport because he perceived that cart was a threat to that. But unfortunately what he did was he devalued the oval part of it by putting out this cut rate product and people weren't stupid. And when people,
1: you got a, a big crowd to start at Texas or at Charlotte, Atlanta, some yeah. of the places that didn't have IndyCar. And then when they did see IndyCar racing, the product
3: wasn't what we experience today. It's true. And and some of those early crowds at Texas and the like were simply because of season ticket packages. Right. And there was a novelty factor. And, and let's be honest, the IRL pack races at places like Texas and Charlotte and Atlanta, I thought they were incredibly dangerous. I thought they were literally death race 2000. But for some fans, they were compelling because there's a trend for race fans now. They don't want to see a guy go out and, and put on a quality performance and win a race by 20 seconds because he's the best driver in the best car who had the best strategy that day. Race fans demand a 20 car pack with 58 passes for the lead hurtling toward a photo finish. And the pack, the IRL pack races gave them that. And, and, that's where Sam Hornish came from, right? The, the, yeah, the, 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 yeah. That,
1: and, he was and the, he were, was the ultimate were, at that. They
3: were a bravery contest, plain and simple. And Sam Sam Hornish and Dan Weldon were the bla- bravest guys out there in those bravery contests. But it was artificial because the cars had so little power and so much downforce that they were just running flat out. And it's not like you could say a, a monkey or a chimpanzee could do it because it took a very specific skill and a lot of courage to do it. But at the same time, they weren't really driving the cars. It was It was almost like... You know, professional stunt driving because they were all absolutely flat. The cars were nowhere near maxed out. That's why you started seeing the setups where they'd start lowering the rear wing and start running them like a powerboat to try to get the rear wing out of it. To you know, to try yeah, to, to, to get rid drag. of the drag and everything. It was incredibly way, dangerous. you set your car up now, I cannot right? believe they didn't. Well, we do have any people. wings. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was. It was. It's. It's a miracle that those pack races didn't kill people. Yeah. And then they finally realized it. I mean, they finally edged back from that and unfortunately they had one last pack race in 2011 and a guy got killed so as as this is happening and the IRL
1: decided they're going to go full oval you saw a migration to where the cart series in the split starts to become more more and more international and you saw some European and other other international well, events well, yes coming no
3: in. because the international aspect of carts started in the 80s it started with the cars then the drivers then some of the road races and then eventually you got a race in Australia and a race in Brazil. But the the weirdest thing is, is that between 96 and 99 or 2000 and 2001, the number of ovals on the cart schedule actually increased. Now, granted, some of them were international. You had a, they it, went they to Germany, to England, right? they went to England, they went to Japan and places like that. And they philosophically, they didn't want to do road racing around the world. They formula one, they wanted to leave formula one after they did their race. At Surfers paradise in Australia that started in 91, they had a gentleman's agreement with the FIA that, that, IndyCar races overseas would be on ovals, and they were until 2003, when CART was in its last throws and and um, you know got really desperate and, and ran at Brands Hatch uh, that year. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean for the it's it, it's strange that you'd think that they might have said, all right, well we're the road racing, and they might have tried to maximize that aspect, but they didn't. They they continued pursuing ovals, and but that's. To me that's what made the CART series great in the 80s and the 90s. It it became this great combination of American racing of the Unsers and AJ Foyt and, and the Andrettis and Bobby Rahal and Danny Sullivan and Rick Mears but also with Emerson Fittipaldi and Nigel Mansell and Teo Fabi and Gilles Villeneuve and a great mix of of road racing venues and and oval tracks. It really was a best of all worlds and and as it was it was recognized as that in the early '90s. It was recognized as that by NASCAR as a threat here in the U.S. It was recognized by Formula One as a threat internationally, which is part of why you know they they handed the keys to the Speedway and the kingdom to Tony George when he was thirty, and and he, he he enters into this fight with CART. You know he felt he was disres he and and the Speedway were disrespected by CART, but at the same time CART. Felt that they were disrespected by the Speedway because they had taken this sport from being the Indy Five Hundred and a handful of other crappy races that nobody went to and weren't on TV, and built it into an established worldwide series with the Long Beach Grand Prix and and great races at Milwaukee and Cleveland and, and places like that. They had this l- mutual lack of respect, and and it it you know it blew up eventually. Personalities, politics, yeah. Uh, you know the car owners viewed. Viewed Tony as an unseasoned punk, um, and and he viewed them as you know arrogant rich rich dudes that were driving the cost of racing up and and were taking the sport away from oval tracks. And whether he was right or not, he did perceive them as a threat to the speedway and in the Indy Five Hundred. At that time, what kind of money are we talking about for for the for those teams
1: and in, in the series versus what we would see in, in the current day?
3: Well, at its peak in CART, the budgets were probably fifteen to twenty million a year, and we're talking the late nineties here, yeah, turn of the century. Which is, you know, obviously add another fifty percent to that now to get it in in today's. It's a, it's money. a thirty million dollar. It's a, it's a, about what probably it is run so. the
1: NASCAR Cup program. Yeah, but in
3: but a you know a quality indie program now, seven eight million probably. Um, the costs have come down. I mean, they had to. Um. The thing about the kart series in the in the 90s is when it was at its best is is they had four different competing chassis manufacturers and two different brands of tires and four different engines. And the key was picking the right combination of them. You had to have a
1: Lola with the current Chevy yeah. and on a Firestone tire or else you were – you may as well not even field a car, right? But or the, whatever the combination but was. But the thing year.
3: about it was is in those days they had the sponsorship to justify it and they could go out and they could buy six new – Four hundred thousand dollar race cars a year, and and afford a three, you know, a pair of three million dollar engine leases. The the commercial support was there to sustain it. Much of this is the Hollywood cigarettes and the, yeah, you know, cool. I mean, clearly, tobacco, tobacco money. money was was yeah. hugely important. Marlboro, and you know, one of the things that that we talk about in my book is, is that Marlboro signed up to be the sponsor of the USAC series starting in nineteen seventy one, the very same year that Winston, Winston. began sponsoring NASCAR. And you saw what the Winston sponsorship became. I mean, it grew to be $20 million a year, and and you know it was the Winston Cup. And USAC, in 1972, Marlboro believed they wouldn't get any competing tobacco companies in, and USAC allowed Viceroy to come in to sponsor the Vels Parnelli Jones super team with Al Unser, Mario Andretti, and then Joe Leonard drove a car sponsored by Samsonite Luggage. So Marlboro pulled out then. They were, they were like, screw this. You know, we thought we had, so they deal. thought they had
1: exclusive yeah. to which yeah. is what you saw in the, uh, and they the didn't sprint come era
3: with NASCAR when they threw Verizon
1: and at t out of the series.
3: Yeah. And what's ironic about the Marlboro deal is, is the guy that brought them back was Emerson Fittipaldi. He's the guy that got Philip Morris back into yeah. IndyCar racing 15 years later in 85, 86, Followed him over. And then ultimately he joined team Penske and, and that relationship, you know, continued. Emerson retired from formula one and, um, he ran a few races and showed he could be competitive, and he went to drive for Patrick Racing for Pat Patrick. And it was during that year. He he ran in 85 with sponsorship from 7-Eleven. But he had he still had a personal services deal with Marlboro, European Marlboro, Philip Morris of Europe. But he he then got Philip Morris USA to sponsor Patrick Racing from 86 to 89. Yep, And then Patrick sold the team to Chip Ganassi, and it became the Chip Ganassi Racing we know and love today. And Emerson went to Penske and took the Marlboro sponsorship with him. And then that sponsorship stayed with Penske till, until until they were forced out the in 2011 or whatever it was. Yeah.
1: Amazing time. Amazing linkage in history as to how that happened. And the livery continued on all the way through.
3: Yeah, they weren't allowed to I, actually have the word Marlboro on the car anymore. But... Um, and, and, it, and if you look at it now, I mean, Ferrari is still sponsored by Philip Morris in Formula One. Minnow Winnow or min, uh, Mission Winnow. Mission Winnow, yes.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and there was even a point I knew for a while, like they weren't, they couldn't put the name on the car, but it was like the barcode right, was on yeah. the wing of like, if you, if you could barcode scan <laughs> the rear wing of a Ferrari, it would pull up and you're like, filter King. <laughs> yeah, it's like, so be, I think if people think about Penske's classic livery, it's a Marlboro livery. You think about the the Marlboro red and white. Are, do you guys
1: have sponsorship restrictions in, in your series, Kyle?
2: Um, no,
4: not really. I mean, just there's nothing really preventing you from having any type of company. I mean, use our type of racing. We're probably more welcome to you know what we can get, you know, right. since we're a lot smaller deal.
1: So you're what you're saying is that if you, somebody has a small tobacco company and they want to start,
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: I don't know if my <laughs> wife would be too thrilled about that, but. (laughs)
4: we'll put their sticker on the car. They only
2: require you smoke a half pack a day, man. It'll be fine. I think I realized that the mission window thing was still them. And then somebody I've heard it somewhere. I'm like, man, they just will not like, they're just finding a way to get that, keep that money in there. Even though nobody, I look at that and was like, what is that? And I don't look it up. So we,
1: we were talking with, with John before the, before the cameras rolled and we talked about how 93 was probably the peak cart year when the F1 champion came over to the United States and Nigel Mansell, you had Mario Andretti, you had super teams that were still still in existence and you talked about the schedule that the series was running at that time and if you look now and you almost, you see a very strong correlation between what that series looked like and what they were trying to accomplish and what
3: this current generational leadership is looking at for the 2020 season. You know, one of the most, I mean, it's I think it's good, but it's also extremely frustrating that all this negativity and strife and disharmony and everything happened. And what we've got now is we've got a series that looks a lot like the cart series in 1996 you had this massive fight. It's, you and- know, the cars look like those cars and they purposely do because after several generations of these IRL cars, they listened to the fans and the fans wanted to see the wheels again and, and not have an air box. And, um, so you've got a schedule that looks like the cart schedule. You've got cars that look like the cart cars. The difference is, is that the IMS is running it now, which is ultimately, I suppose, what they wanted back in the day. Even though Tony George said it was never his goal to run Indy Car racing, um, but they have. I mean, the Holmans since Tony Holman bought the speedway in 1945, they formed USAC in 1956. After all that happened in 1955 with people getting killed, Bill Vukovic and Alberto Ascari and the Le Mans disaster and everything, AAA pulled out of racing. So Tony Holman was the guy that formed USAC, and USAC and the Speedway were inseparable. Um, honestly, up till '97 until until Texas when <laughs> when they botched when, the when Texas race there, and yes, they did, uh, which memorably memorably resulted in uh, AJ Foyt backslapping uh, Ari Lehndike in Victory Circle. That's worth a Google if you're not familiar <laughs> with that. You should look up AJ Foyt and Ari Leyendijk. And then uh, the other one on YouTube is AJ Foyt is pissed at Jeff Andretti. Yeah. <laughs> that is... I've
4: seen that
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a lot of AJs. AJ Foyt and uh, Kevin Coogan. Uh, Coogan? 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 That, that damn Coogan. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a number there of There
2: would be
3: hours of AJ Foyt footage <laughs> if, he was, if he was a couple years later and the internet had been around. You know, it, it's frustrating though because... It it's yeah the speedway is running it now but they're running the series they were fighting right um, yeah it, it, and it's it's new
1: ownership right it it,
3: it feels like the Vietnam the Penske, War at the Penske this point. ownership didn't didn't change the cars in twenty eighteen to, to no like, no it's yeah. the same
1: it's it's common yeah. ownership now but the direction honestly Penske has not made major changes from the direction that you saw two years ago three years ago. The, the management teams of the series and the track are still essentially the same, very much on think, the same path. I think all that
3: stuff was solid. Yeah, I think they were already on a very good path. And who knows why the sale occurred when it did. I mean, a lot of people believe that it, it had to do with Mary Holman-George dying. She died in November of 2018. And it's probably not a coincidence that, like, literally 366 days later, the the, the announcement was made... That the speedway sold, and and when she was alive, Mrs. George would always say that that this you know the speedway was for her grandchildren, yep. which would be the children of Tony George and his sisters. In other words, the next generation of the Holman George family, which would have been Jared Krizaloff, Kyle Krizaloff, um, you know Nancy George's daughters and and uh, Tony George's uh, daughter Lauren and such. But I think it's it's inspiring. It, it it's inspired that they made the decision to do it, and and honestly, if you think about with COVID and everything that happened, it would have been very difficult last year. It's it's you can't answer yes or no. Would they have had an Indy five hundred? Would they have had a series? Would the Speedway look like nineteen forty four again? Um, because it's it, it's pretty clear that once the unification occurred and and the Holmans poured roughly $30 million into getting all the cart team's equipment and changing the schedule and, and everything. There had not been a lot of investment in, in the facility for the last 10 or 12 years. You hear stories that maybe they lost some money to Bertie Madoff. Um, the bottom line is, is that after the unification, when the sport needed them to continue spending money at the level that Tony had been spending since 1994, they, they pulled off the gas.
1: You saw massive improvements. The F one race, the you know the yes, Gasoline yeah.
3: Alley Suites, the pagoda got
1: remodeled. So in the late nineties, especially two thousand to two thousand four range, but a lot the, of cash flowed into. But the But then
3: the key is you go back about five years to what they called Project One Hundred, mm-hmm. and it was the first time you got a tax. It on, was the first time that they asked for public money. Yeah, you got a tax on usage of the track. Yep. So everybody that
1: buys tickets pays into it. We're back into politics, guys. Uh, There's a TIF district that was formed, uh, and I think it was $200 million that went to the track, and it was essentially a loan against future revenue. Right. So if, if the, the folks that supported the track or attended the track, they used government funds to to pull money forward, and that was some big improvements down in turn
3: one in the grandstand. A lot of it was just to bring the place up to code. Yeah. Uh, for accessible access and things like that. Accessible access—that's a double. <laughs> yeah, the, the ADA. They, they
1: the, built some elevator towers. They, there were some some major upgrades to make some accessible seating.
3: Right. Uh, but but video you politics, and and one thing I want to say, just as an overall theme, is that IndyCar racing, the whole IndyCar racing community, it is a lot like the political community. In the whole IRL versus CART or USAC or Champ Car or whatever you want to call them but there's a very philosophical split between two groups and one is road racing higher technology international flavor as compared to low cost grassroots oval tracks and and that philosophical or that's the political battle that of course created it that's what created the split the the 79 split in the first place the whole rear engine revolution from the 60s and the fact that the car owners were now bruce mclaren and and you know guys that that had really had skin in the game and weren't just writing a check to, to run the indy 500 every year and and that philosophical difference that started in the 60s with the road racers against the oval racers it's it's still going on and it's why people keep talking about it now, because there are still people that are passionate that think that, that you know, that the short track guys need to be reconnected to the Indy 500 in a way that they haven't been in, in you know, you could argue 40 years or more. Um, You're going to get to do a, uh, a race with some all IndyCar All-Stars,
1: but it's not at the Speedway this year, Kyle. You're, you're going to be out at El Doro when SRX is running and you're going to be uh, on the same same night as Tony Kanon and Tony Stewart and Elio mm-hmm. Castroneves and all those guys.
4: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
1: Why, why isn't that at the Speedway? Why, why aren't you guys on the dirt track at the Speedway? What
4: uh, Crown cars, I doubt, would fit on that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what, the little BC39 track? Yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: But yeah. I do think that was I mean, cool that they built little, that in little there. Little I mean, like man. you we said, like... they're trying to, to somewhat bring the small track registers to the Speedway and give them a little piece of it, you know. And uh, you know, I think it's great what Tony's done with the SRX series and kind of bringing those guys that maybe not wanted to run, you know, full-time in any car and NASCAR or something like that, but, uh, you know, still want to get out there and race and give them a discipline to do it. In.
1: And I, I think Cody Swanson is going to be in the, that SRX. That's, Cody that
4: and Bobby Santos. I think Cody's around Eldora and then Bobby Santos gets around run one there in the uh, raceway park.
3: Let's not forget that big Haley Deegan announcement today. I missed that. What? Haley Degan apparently is a full-timer in the SRX. Really? Wow. Don't really, take mm. my word as gospel. This is just what I think I've read <laughs> from a tweet from Ray Abernathy. So. <laughs> well, he would know. He It's if, likely if he anybody
1: would. Know. Yeah, he would yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He would have the inside track to the uh, to the knowledge on it. So, all right. So the, the my question for the uh for John as we as we start to wrap up the the split conversation. And this is entirely free form. So we may come back to it. There's no promises. Are we are we looking at a new golden era starting in going forward now that we have common ownership and you've got a new car that's coming in a couple of years and you've got, I don't know, is it nine ninety five hundred winners? A new car for back? the
3: first time since 2012. All right. The 15-year <laughs> a, life cycle a out decade, of the old man. 12
1: I, it's like it, well, it's a lot like a hammer though right you replace is it the same car because you replaced the had the, the three jokes times about
3: the last lastilar it's like oh a nine-year car we'll never see that again Well, yeah. you're right because we're on year 12 or something already yeah
1: and we're not ter- and you're gonna you're gonna get a new motor but you're not gonna new, new right. car
3: right away and they'll find a way to stretch it out still
1: yeah uh, well it's so yeah, like there I'm were not, i'm not holding my breath for that car does it make a difference does i guess does it really matter do, do you feel like that makes an actual difference in the product
3: well, they had a good idea with the aero kits. Honestly, right. I mean, it it was a good concept of like let's have a basic tub and you can dress it up and make it look different. And If you can make it perform better, then good for you. But it, it didn't work. I mean, in in the the cars looked worse than, than the cars the look worse, but they I looked worse. they looked awful. Those
1: three Indy 500s were some of the most they were, exciting they were good to Indy watch.
3: 500s, yeah sometimes a car but, would go flying but they were really fun to watch but they also showed a Chevy would go flying the, with the bodywork that they brought out in 18 they showed that you can reskin it yes. pretty much at will um so they they can i mean if they wanted to they could create a new look for it every year or every other year there's there's no need to do that but the, the whole car equation part, it's been the whole car part has been pushed out of the equation you know we haven't had new cars for I mean, it used to be like there's a new Lola and a new right. Reynard, a new Penske every year, and and you've you've lost that. There's you've had three generations since the
1: split. Yeah, you've essentially had three new chassis come out in in twenty years, right. twenty years. But it's
3: spec car racing, right? And people people have lost their connection with road cars too. I mean, I can't. My car is a 2010. It's not even new, but I wouldn't even think of trying to change the oil or change the spark plugs on my car these days. Well, they look the same. If you
1: look at a small, everybody buys a small SUV. I've got a, a GMC terrain and I, I can't tell a GMC terrain from a Jeep, whatever the hell it is. It, you line up four, f- pick four of them, make them all black and they're almost indistinguishable. Yeah. Your road cars are, are just as bad as, as a race car now.
2: Yeah, I have a hunch, yeah, the, the, like, <laughs> the competition in design cars, they did look different back in the day. Now, everybody's running computers with CFD and they crank out very, very similar designs. I don't know if you design cars now like race car if they would look that
3: different well formula one's the answer to that question because they're allowed to be different and they're not yeah
2: i can't i can't i can't tell the difference on those like somebody could walk up by and i was i started watching drive to survive and i was like how they even noticed like those guys must be like studying them they must know where to look for the little bits that you can that you can actually tweak on but yeah those cars essentially look the same to me and they're all supposed to be independently so i don't know if that's going to happen. IMSS is actually
3: doing better with the aero kit concept because their DPI class and what will be their LMDH class starting in 2023. DPI means Daytona prototype. International, right. International. Um, LM is Le Mans prototype. And, and, and what happens there is, is that they take a, a standard P2 chassis, LMP2 chassis made by Delaro or Ligier or a couple other companies, and they are allowed to do what the IndyCar thing was. You know, they could put their own Cadillac body work on it, for example. The the Cadillac that runs in IMSA is Looks a re- like a Cadillac. It's, it's a rebodied Delara and the the Mazda is a rebodied multimatic. And so it's it's working well for IMSA and, and honestly, I think IMSA is on the cusp of, of a boom. IndyCar Racing, it's they got rid of their problems. They they did their dirty laundry twenty years ago and they got that out of the way and they bottomed out and they've been slowly on the way back up. And the Indy 500 in particular has recovered. They've had a series of anniversary events with the 100th anniversary of the building of the track and the first race and the 100th race and all that. The Indy 500's been on a nice, steady upswing. Uh, the rest of the series, it's it's holding steady. It's, you know, it's it's never going to get back to where it was in 93, 94, 95. It, it's just not realistic. I will, anecdotally, I will
1: say that some races, I feel like it, after the 2020 pandemic of being pinned inside, I I know from my experiences trying to get tickets, and in my my package for Mid Ohio, I'm looking for some massive crowds of people that want to do yeah, anything. Like, uh,
2: I've been going to Mid Ohio for like four or five years, and the first year, I think I bought my tickets like February, or bought my camping February. And I had pl- I probably had like eh, 30, 40 percent of the place was still available to like book a camping site. And then we went and looked this year, and, and they all went on for sale in like one day. And on that one day, there were about 20 available for the entire place. And it's getting harder and harder to get in those places. He's going to yeah. show us a mid-90s, mid-Ohio yes. crowd where you can't that's, see that's, any grass. Yeah,
3: This is actually, you know, the IRL, their storyline was, oh, crowds are down in cart. That's mid-Ohio. That's the S's in 2000.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah. what I'm saying is that you have this trend coming back where I think – you're, it's a matter of how many seats you're willing to build, how what you're willing to what you're allowing in. Yeah, an IndyCar. Right? I
3: mean, road racing. Let's face it, road racing is there's more room to stretch out. Yeah. Um. And and obviously they're talking forty uh, percent capacity for the Indy Five Hundred, which is a lot of people. They had a hundred. It's going to be the largest
1: crowd in the world it, it, that we've had to date. Yeah. Even though it's going to feel it, like a bit of a letdown when you see a hell of a lot of aluminum.
3: The, it's still going to look like three times the Brickyard four hundred crowd. It, it's
1: yeah. going to be the biggest crowd that's assembled since COVID nineteen happened, since it started.
3: Yeah. So, uh, so IndyCar. I mean, they're they're holding steady, and and what's encouraging about it is even before Penske came in, and there's this you know new feeling of optimism and everything, and it's it's reflected by the fact that they've got twenty four full time entries, and it, it is a pretty solid and deep field. And you look at the rookie class, and it's. The encouraging thing for the current IndyCar series is that people from around the world want to come come to it again. It's back to where it was in the 90s, where it is a destination series instead of, you know, well, everything else has failed, so let's go here. Um, they're on the upswing, and, and you can see that NASCAR's television and attendance has dropped dramatically since 2005, 2006. Formula One, um, it's 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 hard to give a viewpoint on it in America because we're just so isolated in the formula one world. We're very unique. And we're about ready to have double the races. Allegedly. I think it's, interesting or, or, or is the, it
1: going to move from Texas to Florida? There's,
3: there's a, a 10 year deal was announced for this yeah. Miami race. And I'm like, well, I was a little skeptical about that. I, I said, I give it over unders three and a half. And some old, geezer, some old geezer named Mario Andretti agreed with my assessment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, is it, I wonder, is it better? Is it managed differently? Um, I loved the US Grand Prix when it was in Indianapolis. Is it managed differently than it was then? Because you mentioned Bernie Ecclestone earlier. Bernie Well, he's like, out. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone. So I wonder if it's managed differently where I knew the contracts in the day, if it was a 10-year deal, it was really nice for the for the track and for the home city the first couple of years. But by the time they got to like year seven, eight, nine, ten, they were paying like up to fifty million dollars a year for a sanctioning fee. And I know Bernie was very particular about Bernie wanted the government to pay part of that because he wanted the government involved. And that was the thing that irked him at Indy was the Georges were just like, we'll just, we'll, we're taking care of
3: this and the tickets were cheap. And well, the government thing, it's not going to fly in a lot of places. Now it did in Austin. I mean, that race got on until the map they, until because, they didn't submit their uh, human trafficking report last year and lost it. <laughs> and but, it's, it's but yeah, it's, but they were getting money from the, from the state. Um, you know, you hear stories that the Austin track's not in great shape, and um, yeah, and it's I'm, funny their their Twitter handle is like NASCAR at Coda now, so they're they're all in they're, on NASCAR, and of course NASCAR is all in on road racing right now. Um,
1: there's six or eight road races on the NASCAR calendar this year. Well,
3: they've been the most compelling races on the NASCAR schedule for the last few years, including Indianapolis, by the way, uh, which needed to happen yeah. because the Brickyard 400 it was more boring than watching paint dry. It was like listening to paint dry. Their their tire race is my my.
1: Uh, final Brickyard 400 I attended
3: it was the last Brickyard 400 for a lot of people if you look at the grandstands yeah and that was just that was inexcusable for that to happen so
1: looking uh looking forward to the month of May uh, I did get my shot I I got an email the other day that said if you want to use your bronze badge uh you have to you have to show your
2: papers which I'm actually I'm like I'm a little concerned that's like I keep asking apparently I have to show it to get my badge And I have to go to the facility and pick it up, go to the the credentials office. And then I have to have it every day that I want to get into the paddock. I'm like... What if you get mustard on it? Like, They they expect you to go
1: and bring bring it to the track with you and then go spend a day of whatever the hell you're going to do
2: eating tenderloins and making fun of... uh, Most people know from either having one already or having seen the pictures of everybody's on Facebook that's like the required picture. It's a postcard. It's not... Wallet-sized. sized. It is a, it's just big enough that if I have to carry it to the track, like 12 days, it will not look good at the end of 12 days. Like, can you laminate it? Well, it's, I, somebody, I brought that up. And another guy who Jeremiah I didn't realize who it was and, um, IndyCar world is a very small world, either on Twitter and even in, at the track, you'll see the same faces. And one guy's like, let's make a copy and laminate it because there's a chance, I know they've even said for the Pfizer, that people might need another booster. And so there's more spots than just the two on the card. You might have to put another shot on the card eventually. He's talking about Will McCarty. Uh, yeah. Of, used to have the the world-famous blog,
1: isitmayyet.com, which his tagline has been stolen. And I've been uh, yeah. trying to get him some money for that for, for years now because the, the track is, is stolen isitmayyet.com from him. Um, uh, and it, by the way, if you go, I believe it's willpower and the double birds is still the last blog post. So whenever the loud and ra- <laughs> the loud and rain race was, that's the last time Will made a post. Over that there. picture just popped so up again. Glory,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, a... it is. It's an amazing picture. Um, I, but, I was on Will's side for that. He Do you, made, you remember this? Story? I remember that picture. Yes, yes. But he, I was there. He said to make a copy. You bring your and umbrella.
3: Laminate the copy. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing could have been avoided had they one of my bugaboos is three forty-five PM starts because they're really fan unfriendly because if you're from anywhere out of town, you're not going to get home the same day. Oh yeah. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about yeah, the fans. fans.
1: I'm, yeah. I'm getting ready to go to Nash. I'm going to go to the first Nashville GP. I bought my tickets and I, it's, I think it's a five o'clock local su- oh, start, which is six so o'clock stupid. in Indianapolis. I'm yeah. going to get home at like, Two thirty in the morning so and go stupid. to work, the and next they're day. just
3: they're hostage to the TV companies. And it's one thing if you're getting paid billions like NASCAR is, but when you're getting pennies on the dollar like IndyCar is, you've got to stand up for your fans. And have a, a anyway, noon, uh, noon but, start but, this weekend had, at uh, St. Pete, exactly. But had had that New Hampshire race run at twelve thirty or one o'clock, Bentime. it never would have rained. Yeah, back to you, Zach. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, oh, well the uh, well the start thing that's a, a goodman um, Ohio, and luckily. I uh, like to thank whoever the president is. I don't know. It was down the top of my head at Road America because he started fighting back a few years ago. George Brugenthes. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. And when he, when they came
3: back, it was a prerequisite. We're going to have a 1230 start period. And,
2: and so now we're seeing a trend. So where the Indianapolis
3: like, people can drive home yeah, or because Milwaukee. He, no, people. Chicago people. Yeah. 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 That yeah. was the key was Chicago yeah. people because if they started their race at 3 o'clock Central and they run a two hour race and you get out of there and the people aren't getting back to Chicago until 9, 10 o'clock at night and, and on a Sunday night and they don't yeah. want to do that.
2: And there's been a definite trend since then of race is being moved up earlier and earlier by the promoters so that people like mid-Ohio was starting so late that the one year we got we got home at like 10 and we tried to get food on the way home and we couldn't because we had a camper and the dining rooms had closed and I was like this is not good and they moved it up and up a little bit more a little bit more every year so we finally can get home at a decent hour um, so yeah that's a that's a definite thing for me to otherwise I've lost my train of thought or whatever's going on before that. Laminating. You, you, laminate, oh, but you apparently you said make a copy and laminate it And well, and then my thing was that now uh, they finally got on the technology train where I had to sign my waivers like two or three times while they kept changing stuff up for my bronze badge. And the second time it took my picture. I'm like, okay, you've got my picture. I have to go pick it up. How about I show you all my papers all at one time. And then you give me my bronze badge and then print me out like my version of a hard card, not a hard card, hard card, but a photo ID that says, this is Zach. He's giving us his papers. This is his bronze badge. It can have the number bronze badges have a number. And I don't have to carry it around and worry. Cause then I'm worried about the next thing that somebody's going to ask me. I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I burned up my, my paperwork in May and it didn't survive because the bronze badges don't generally survive too. Well, usually about lose those by the end of the week. Cause the pins all break off. <laughs> so, so that's all I need to like, or you just lose it. And like, now I don't have any proof. And my bronze badges just became just worth admission <laughs> because I don't have my papers. I have toddlers. Horrible things happen <laughs> to things that I own. Horrible things.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Because there's a digital. I, I got my last shot today and the, the state sent me a text and they said, hey, click on this and you can make a little screenshot of you're fully
3: vaccinated. Does that count? I don't I don't know if they're going to count that or not. I got vaccinated. Well, in theory, I got vaccinated, okay. although my card says I didn't get vaccinated it's in the future. until May 3rd. So maybe that's why I haven't gotten the email yet. I got a text message.
1: And it, and it, it, I have a little screenshot that says I was fully vaccinated on today's date, uh, and I'm good to go. And it's on the from the state website. Apparently, Indiana has passports. I know they're fighting over it now or whether or not we're going to have vaccine passports, Kyle. But I got one. I, it may not be legal or oh, accepted yeah. uh, anywhere, but I do have something in writing. Who knows? I, I know if I want to take a cruise, I have to have it. If I want to, uh, if I want to go to the track, I have to have it. So. I'm glad going I'm to
2: the it. track so far is the only thing I have to have it for. But, yeah, I'm kind of waiting to see what all – apparently they made that announcement yesterday. I tried to call like nine or ten times to get some questions answered, never got through to the track. <laughs> apparently their credit card machine went down at the same time, so it was chaos. They were real prepared for it. Um Because I used to have general – like there's no infield parking, so where do we park? Like the North 40 is a walk, and I'm not sure if they're going my, to shuttles. My
1: turn three infield pass was converted to a North 40 pass. Another friend who f- parks at Fifth and Holman, which would, is basically the infield the road course by the museum, he got converted to, uh, I believe, south, just outside of the track on the south side. I walk from home. <laughs> or you can do that. I'm bringing my home with me. I'm going to be a Speedway resident t- twice this, uh, this year. I'll be, a, I'll be uh, spending like seven nights out there. It's
3: a great place to
1: live, it's, actually. It should be fun.
2: Should be exciting. I look at my, especially in May. My, yeah, my Amazon photo things comes up and always about this time of year, I can tell I get antsy because somehow my pictures, I'm always, I pop up in speedway. it's i I'm like, <laughs> Oh, let's go to mug and bun or let's go here. Let's go there. and am like driving through town just to kind of start getting ready. Spring comes around. It's time to go speedway. I'll be camping. I'll
1: be, I'll be so many other places. Uh, there, in 2020, we could do very little. So my calendar every weekend, I'm, I'm somewhere. I'm going to get to Mid-Ohio. I'm going to get to Indy. I'm going to go to Nashville. Uh, i going to do be all over the place. Very, very fun. Looking forward to the year. Um, so they, they did sell 177,000 tickets for the race. Over the last week, they pulled people and said, hey, who doesn't want to go? And they dropped it down to where now they're comfortable with this 40% number. They think they're going to be somewhere around 135,000 people. But they did kill the infield completely. Yep. All the concerts On race day. And concerts are gone. And the pit stop competition. Is that gone too? I think I saw they I canceled it too. And the Freedom 100, by the way. We're going to blame COVID for that. too. And
3: predictably, Indy 500 fan is not taking the news well. <laughs> me, 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 me. They still kept qualifying practice open, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. Outside seating only. Tower Terrace.
4: Okay. That's
3: what I thought
1: I saw. Is that what they're going to do for, the, for those guys? Yes. Unless you have a bronze badge and then you don't know where you're going to be able to go. Because you're going to have paddock access, so you're going to be able to get in somehow. It's going to be – I'm a little – I don't know what to expect.
2: I'm a little confused. It's going to be adventure. I'm a little confused by the, uh, the closing the grass mounds down. I guess they can't control the grass mounds as much. I think
3: they just want to keep the infield but closed yet, as, a, yeah, as a hard, I'm, fast a, rule to anybody that's not credentialed or badged. Yeah,
2: minimal staffing. Because I'm kind of curious. Like, they said, but They'll be open for some stuff. So, like – if I go into the, inf- if I go into the garage and my wife's got the kids or one I- way or the other, am I s- one of us stuck outside or can we hang out in the plaza? It's weird. You had this great plaza and nobody's seen it in a <laughs> year and a half or but two years. Every,
1: every facility is different, right? Mid Ohio, the grandstands were closed, but the mounds were open. The Speedway, the mounds are closed, but the grandstands are safe.
2: Yeah. Mid Ohio just painted grids on it and they said, here's your box. Is, this is your box. Stay in your <laughs> box. Stay
1: in your box. But Mark Miles did say everybody that wants to have a seat uh, can have a seat. But my brother, he came back and complained on Facebook today and said, I just want to go and stand on my cooler <laughs> in the infield. I don't want to have to have a seat. Yeah. Is it, that, there's so many of the people that I bring, John, to the race. I, I On a normal race weekend, I have 25 to 30 people hang out infield turn three. Some people have seats. Some people don't even know a car goes by, but it's a massive social party in the infield those people don't buy tickets in advance. They're the walk up crowd right. of the, the people that eventually some of them will fall in love with it and they'll buy the tickets. And that's one of the concerns I do have. And there's not much you can do about it this year. But when you, when you go two, three years of, you don't have that infield turn three crowd. I Once you lose the rhythm of, we go to the Indy 500 every year, they're going to find something else to do Memorial day weekend. And that that's a risk. I don't know if the, I don't, they can't deal with it yet, but it's, it's gotta be in the back
3: of somebody's mind. Well, certainly, but I mean, the bottom line is, is we can't be stupid about this. And if we have another major outbreak or or a different strain that comes through or something, they have to be safe than sorry. They they've got to at least you don't give want the to, impression of looking like you, they're have, to, trying you have to have to the be
1: theater smart. that you were ahead of it because you don't want the the you know the NCAA had the Indianapolis But the Saint Elmo thing was and the, there were two deaths that the media has tied back to. To that, right. If that happens with the Indy five hundred,
3: there's there's not as much. They've got to be cognizant they, that they don't want to be a super spreader. Yeah, and and you know the people are getting vaccinated, but I saw a, a astoundingly low number of vaccinations in Marion County today. I see that the the COVID restrictions are being maintained with masks and everything in Marion County, and I believe the number I saw was only twenty one percent has been vaccinated in Marion County. Which, I mean, it, it seems like it's. Roughly 50% nationally already, isn't it? And if it is 21% in Marion County, that's embarrassing. And you have access. It, that, that's a
1: conversation that we've had on this show for for months is that you can see that we were going to go from, we were dropping ages quickly. You know, you went from 55 to 50 within a couple of days. Yeah. And we just kept dropping the age because the demand wasn't there. Uh, and then now at this point, it's pretty much walk-in clinics. You could, you could have an appointment. Today, if you wanted to have it, well, it's
3: too late now, but tomorrow morning you could get one. It is um, a political commentary, though, yeah. because let's face it, the whole vaccination thing is very much a, a Republican Democrat. Oh, I thing, had. And, yeah. And we're in a Republican hotbed here in and Indiana.
1: Coming from a, the Libertarian Party side, I've been <laughs> I, I uniquely get to see, feel all of it. Uh, but I picked I posted a picture. Of, we got a button. We I, I got a button today for having my vaccination in Henry County. At the uh, at at our local hospital, and they gave out these cool little buttons, and I was like, "It's not Pretzel Day, the office. Uh, I love Pretzel Day, but I got uh, I got a button. It was a free button, so that was cool. Uh, And I posted a picture of it, and I had multiple people explain to me how I was, you know, stupid for going and getting it, and I was virtue signaling, virtue signaling, and yada yada yada, whatever. I could take it; it's fine. But it's so damn political. Then you have to post a selfie later from Gasoline Alley and be like, "This is what this (laughs) got me. Yeah, my vaccine passport worked." (laughs) And $175 or whatever that was. I feel like I used to pay 75 bucks for my for my, um, my credential, and now it's... First year I did, it was like, it's like uh, 150 It was
2: like 100 Yeah, and it's gone up every... That's my only fear is I'm waiting for like things have kind of stayed the same. I'm kind of waiting to see if there's a if there's a Penske price hike, and he couldn't really pull it off this year because everybody just was carried over from last year. But we'll see. My favorite camping was infield for the Grand Prix, and that's been next for now. So I'm hoping I get back to that, but I'm hoping... It, they don't bring it back at like six hundred bucks. Well, we always have the Hoosier Hundred, right, Kyle?
4: Uh, not anymore.
1: <laughs> what? What? We were trying to bring things up. We we're going to talk about local short track racing and coming to see you. What? Uh, what? What? Heartbreak? Do you have for us?
4: Well, they. I think it was. Yeah, was a yesterday or two days ago? They announced that uh, that the Hoosier Hundreds officially dead. Did, Which would, this would have been what the third annual last one. Yeah. So, uh, we got, I, you know, we we're, I was, we we're very fortunate. The fairgrounds actually let us come back and raise last year because COVID had screwed so much stuff up. You know, we didn't even get around the crown cars till August. So, and Indy wasn't even on the schedule. I mean, it was supposed to be 2019 was supposed to be it. It was done, done deal. They were going to put limestone on it and all that. And so, then,
1: and you guys, uh, you, you, you have an aversion to running on lime
4: uh from what i i know my dad had raced some flat track races on some limestone tracks and he said it was just absolutely like a tear on equipment just sandblasted everything so i don't i don't think it would be possible to do it you know but um supposedly everything they had told us in 19 that they had secured funding and it was going to happen and then COVID happened and from what i'd heard a lot of the money was coming from the casinos and i assumed that they were like yeah we're not gonna pump that out with everything that's going on and being shut down. So then, and from what I heard in late last summer, that the fairgrounds actually reached out to USAC because they weren't able to have any events or anything like that. And that was one way that they could maybe make some revenue for the year and stuff like that. And obviously we all wouldn't turn that chance to run the Indian mile again. So, so we had it, had a once last year and then they, uh, they told us in the winter meetings that, you know, it was going to be on the schedule and was barely sure that it was going to happen. But there was a slight chance that if they got a contract in place before the May date, that it could be switched. So, and I really didn't even know anything about it till I saw something on Facebook last weekend and I, I texted our series director and I was like, Hey, you know, is this a real possibility? And he's like, Uh, yeah, we'll find out more tomorrow. So, yeah, and then uh, the writing was on the wall later this week. So,
1: so you'll be going to Terre Haute on Thursday night.
4: Yeah, which and, is
1: not a terrible drive.
4: if no, we, if we no. get
1: set up in camp on on Thursday night, Zach, we could theoretically, yeah,
4: make and it actually they run they run sprint cars on Wednesday down there, so you could just stay there for two days.
3: It's not like you've got a carb day concert you're going to miss this. Yeah,
4: year. Well, well, see now, is, now, now, see that since there's not really very many carb days festivities, you can come out and enjoy the stuff at IRP.
1: There's a lot of possibilities.
4: And I mean, that's not that far of a drive, so up to Anderson.
3: No, oh, IRP oh, no, is IRP. Brownsburg. Oh
4: yeah. oh, yeah, that's nothing.
3: Unfortunately, no. I can't walk to IRP from my house like I can IMS, but you're, you know, and I you probably take a quick I bike ride. I appreciate you're your calling it IRP, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yes, no,
4: after all the five, six, seven name changes, that's the way I always continue to call it because I'm, I think it's what Lucas Oil Raceway now.
1: I, I still call the music venue on the north uh, northeast side Deer Creek Verizon Wireless Clips Music Center. Deer Creek,
2: the Hoosier <laughs> Dome. You mentioned earlier it's still the Winston Cup to me. Like I I you lost me after like the fifth company. I was like, and then when it was the Sprint Cup, I'm like, no, that just doesn't work. I'm like Sprint cars are the next different. Tail, sprint, cars sprint cars are Sprint
3: Cup. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah well, presented this, by Xfinity. Well, at one point, Sprint cars are a thing. They exist you can't take that name because of a phone company. You got to find a way to make that work. And then they didn't make that work. See, I don't keep track of NASCAR sponsorship deals anymore. It's still, I have a Winston cup poncho back in my, in my camper. Uh, it's still the Bush grand nationals to me. <laughs> so I, you know, yes. it, <laughs> I it's, can't keep up with those either. Yeah. It, it gets, uh, it gets out
1: of control. Um, well, so it, that's one of the things that the track could do is that they could set up some shuttles, right. From hey, IMS out to IRP.
4: And I know, Like when Brian, the first, I think it may have been the year he ran the Infinity Pro Series race. He ran the Hoosier Hundred, and they had like a a shuttle system where he he ran that race that day, and then I'm pretty sure the Hoosier Hundred was that evening. And they had a big group of people, and then the I think, if not one, but or maybe even the two of the times he ran the Indy 500, he ended up going around a sprint car at Kokomo run that night. That night, yeah, and they had a big fan deal after that too. So, but um. Yeah, so the Hoosier Hundred's gone.
1: I was still trying to leave the track uh, by the time every, all these guys would be
4: And actually last year, Kurt right? Busch was
1: re- landing in Charlotte, Brian would have been, you know, getting to Kokomo, and I'm still trying to leave the turn 3 infield and John's back at home on his couch <laughs> in I've got my grill lit. <laughs> Good to go. I and mean,
2: that would be the that's one day that I would totally be told like, yeah, cuz I'd just sitting there, I'd sitting there. I'm gonna hook my camper up until cars are moving down Georgetown, which isn't even a good thing to judge off of anymore because Georgetown's not a through street. But I still wait for cars to move before I even try to leave. You Need to use your drone, man. You gotta watch where you fly out <laughs> there. It actually is the uh, the no fly zone for Indianapolis International Airport includes part of the Speedway property till about eh, includes all of turn one. So yeah, I could. I have to really be careful. I really don't want a lifetime ban while I'm still in my thirties. <laughs> From my brother flew his drone at the track one time. And he just had, just write a mildly critical book. And see what
1: I <laughs> yeah, I was going to make a joke for John, but no, no, he can do he, it himself. He can laugh at himself. He's <laughs> very
3: capable. Oh
1: God! You can cover uh, Usac all you want to. We can get you on the inside. We can write a book. You got. Uh, Get all kinds of Here, here's the question I want to ask. Mm-hmm. A, a, a thing that popped into mind a minute ago: Is your car older than the oldest indie car that's racing? Because we talked about so, this last yeah. time. It's a, it's so, been around a minute.
4: The dirt car, the dirt car is only a couple years old. We built it brand new. But the pavement car, I'm pretty sure from the steps I've done tracing it back, it's like either like a 2002 or 2003.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like, like I I
4: think I told them up till this last year, Bob hadn't built a new pavement champ car and, like, Six seven years, but I mean, this are you allowed but, to say
1: but, Champ Car? I'm pretty sure somebody's going to come looking. Yeah, for
4: money from that's why if you look at the USAC logo, <laughs> it says USAC Silver Crown Series Champ Cars.
3: But the technology doesn't change that. No, much.
4: I mean, and so I mean, if you look at a sprint car, it's the same thing from the '80s, just with down tubes. Right. I mean, still torsion bar shocks, and that's you know we were talking earlier about you know how far technology's come with cars and stuff. That's one thing I love about our race cars so much is they're so simple. This, the politics. this is politics. The this is the politics. This is the exact. They're, you, know, you know, a steering gear, a driveline, a motor, a rear end. That's it. You know, we, with the, like the ignitions have come a little bit ways and, you know, in the fueling systems and the motor is all normally aspirated. So we don't do any electronic fuel injection or anything. So, I mean, that's, I'm sure they
3: refine the roll. You know, they might add a bar to the roll cage. Yeah, yeah, you know, and safety they, yeah,
4: the, from that standpoint, especially with some of the instances that we've lost some people these last couple of years, they've tried to add some bars and make the frames a little safer. Obviously, and definitely the the seats and our safety equipment has come a long way, probably in the last decade as well. But uh, um, you know, they're just they're just a race car. You know, there's not a lot of gimmicks and bells and whistles on them. You know, you've got four shocks, a steering wheel, and a motor. A brake pedal and a gas pedal, so.
1: How does your seat work? Do you get fitted for a seat or do you go buy a, a custom seat? They, uh, they
4: kind of have them both ways. There's just, like, most of them, they'll, they'll measure them by your your hip and your ribcage size. But then, like, most of mine have all been, I've been measured for them so they, you know, they fit for maximum comfort and stuff. And the the headrests have gotten a little bigger over the years. And now, like, I mean, my head's completely contained. I mean, there's not a lot of movement from right to left or front to back and I'll wear a Hans device and yeah. all that, so. Is everybody in the
1: series right where Hans now?
4: Yeah. Uh, don't quote me on this. So I know a couple of years ago they made it mandatory. And then I feel like they kind of took it away. A lot of the older guys really weren't super stoked about it. But then I know a year or two ago that they did make full containment
3: seats mandatory. So Don't be like Dale when it comes to safety.
2: There's your lesson. I was just, <laughs> I'm like way behind on some podcast. And I was just listening to Dale Jr.'s where he had... Um, Oh, man, his name just, his crew chief when he won the Daytona 500. Greg Ives? Or,
1: oh, oh Steve yeah, Steve. No, uh, no, you're talking about Larry Lair- 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 McReynolds. And, talk- and he was talking about... Dale seniors, seniors crew chief. Okay, yeah, Dale
2: Seniors, I'm yeah, sorry. And was, and I'm just and
3: that was a guy who just, like, fought any kind of, like, still open face helmet. Yeah. Earnhardt <laughs> actively fought Senior actively fought safety advances and uh, he paid with his life. Yeah, I mean, he's got honestly, he's got nobody but himself to blame. The experts all say there's a 98% chance or better he'd be alive today if he'd been wearing a full face helmet and a Hans device. And
1: Brett Bodine was running with Hans device and sitting and in a proper
3: seat for that matter because yeah. the legend is, is he had a seat out of an old Ford van. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah. I mean, even now, like sprint, some sprinter guys are starting to run full carbon seats too. So, I mean, even that technology is starting to trickle down into Sprint cars and silver crown cars and stuff. Do you see Matt over aluminum now? Uh, yeah, mine is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's got the, – the foam has come a long way on the headrest from now. It used to be, you know, they used to just use a, a single style or density of foam. Now it's got multiple layers to it. So it kind of – because there was a couple guys there when they first started making the headrest real big that were complaining of – you know they were so close together. If it was a rough track, your head would just kind of be a pinball, and you'd almost get concussions that way. So they've they've tried to develop the foam and stuff to to dampen that a little bit better. When's your first race this year? So March. no no March May 9th, Sunday at uh, Winchester. Two weeks. Yep, two weeks. It's a day race. So High Banks over there, east of here. Pavement car ready to go. Yep we're uh, we're supposed to go test hopefully on Tuesday. I we're going to go with Bob and a couple other guys and I text them a day to make sure all this snow didn't play a factor in that. So, uh, but yeah, we'll go over there, just get some laps, shake stuff down from the winter and then uh, hopefully we'll be ready to go. You should run some laps around the Riley school playground, the blacktop. Uh, That'd be awesome. I think I, I've taken my quarter midget around there a couple of times <laughs> back in the day, but uh, I'm not sure they would, if they would uh, be too likely of the silver crown. Car. Somebody
2: just had like a snow delay. It wasn't on a race day. I don't think like in the last week or two, I think it was in, it was at the Nürburgring, I think, but they were like their race and it snowed a bunch. I mean, I
1: we have some connections with the Newcastle City Council mm-hmm. and they just built the brand new asphalt walking track that you could run a, a sprint car on. That's mm-hmm. like a great promo video. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the way down to south, you loop back around Main Street and come yeah, back up.
4: Come back up. And do some testing. I mean, the Silver Crown cars got a clutch in them so I can stop and go. Perfect. You'll like this, a great event, yeah. It'd
2: be a great video just to have just a silver car just driving just, around town, just running down. The the road. Road. You need to come cruise broad, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. It sound pretty cool. Well, you know
1: who's not going to write you a ticket? Who, Darren Jacobs?
2: Okay, he's especially for having chickens. He's taken
1: taking, he's taking a private sector job, a, a Comrade Jacobs. So we, we just need to write, read it into the record. Very good friend of the show. He's uh, he's leaving the planning commission. No longer going to be our zoning administrator. No longer going to be the guy that's measuring your grass to see if it's eight point one inches tall and giving you a ticket. Um, he's uh, he's moving on to to another four letter uh, four letter power company. Stolen away from us.
2: So I'm going to see if he runs into my
1: brother. Uh, it's likely. Yeah, it's very likely.
2: Same so, four letter company.
1: Uh, with that, uh, it's the time of the show where we we get into final thoughts. We uh, we we pitch ourselves. We talk about the exciting stuff. Anything we missed. Correct any of my uh, my accidental lies. Start with you, Mister Robbins. Um, you buying anything for my brother lately, by the way?
4: Uh, no, he did come out and say hi to us, and yeah. he, pretty and you pretty, pretty, pretty good sales pitching. Yeah. But uh, he's charming. I, I got it. Yeah, I got his catalog on top of my toolbox. So as
1: long as it's the top catalog, he'll be happy. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. No, but uh, it was really cool to hear stories from John, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd be really interested in getting his book because, like I said, we talked before the show. I, I kind of vaguely remember that cart IRL split. I was a little young. So it'd be, it'd be neat to read up and just learn the history of that kind of ins and outs and what happened. So
1: I'm very excited. So how do we buy it? We, this is, I failed as a pitch man uh, as the, I know it's, uh, it's in the show notes, but
3: it's on OctanePress.com is the best place to get the split book. So, so, right. The indie split is being published by octane press. Uh, you can get it at OctanePress.com or wherever books are sold. Uh, it will be available on Amazon. Um, if you're interested in purchasing "Time Flies: The History of PacWest Racing," you can buy it at my website, JohnOriovitz.com. That's John O R E O V I C Z dot com. We buy IndyCar.com. <laughs> oh. Slightly stop, stop, almost the same. Um, but seriously, uh, buy a book and and with Indy Split, give it a chance. I mean, I know people are passionate. Everybody's got their own different vision for what IndyCar racing should be, and and who blames who for what happened and everything. But I tried to. I tried to tell the, the story in a, in a fair and compelling way, and and I hope I did. I'm looking forward to
1: it. I'm excited. And I, I do think that it's far enough in the rearview mirror that, yes, some people are still going to have bitter opinions that were maybe around it at the time that were very close to it. But it's it's gotten to be – there's hardly any drivers left from before they, the, the series reunified, right? I mean, you are looking at the, the over-40 crowd, the Will Powers, the Scott Dixons. The, yeah, There are I mean, not that, that many guys you know, that are left Castro that are Nevis even from and
3: Montoya aren't full-time anymore, yeah. so Power was involved. Hunter Ray uh, was still in the, at the end of the champ Scott Dixon. Bourdais. Bourdais, um, yeah. yeah. But, but it's only, it's, only it's only the waning yeah. time.
1: Even like Takuma Sato came along. He, he was in F1 at the time. So he's only been
3: an Indian car driver. Since 2010, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's interesting because you've guess, got this but, generation now. Statistically, at least, if you look at Will Power and Scott Dixon... Um, those guys, they're they're pretty up high there on the list. I mean, Dixon's at 50 wins now. He's third on the all-time list behind uh, just Mario and AJ. Uh, Will Power's closing in on 40 wins, so he's right up there with the Unser brothers and, and Michael Andretti. And right and the up likes. there in the all-time poll.
0: category yes, as well.
3: Yes. Um, so, you know, the core group that's out there now, these older guys now, it's in a way it's similar to the guys that carried IndyCar racing all the way from the 60s to the 90s um and then you know go see them while you can and and that's one thing i'd say i mean the IndyCar series it's still it is still the best of all worlds it's got road racing it's got oval racing it's got technology it's got international flavor and everything it's it's still i think it's the best racing out there and the one thing i would say is if you were a cart fan if you were an irl fan if you were still just pissed off at everybody for for screwing it all up come back i mean i've i've that's been my message for years, despite what IndyCar management wants to think. I've, I've all been all about, you know, hey, guys, it's still pretty good racing. It's, it's not 1993, but it's still pretty darn good. It's pretty darn compelling. And the field now is strong. It's stout. Schedule looks a lot like the kart days. Um, if you look at the bottom of the
1: 1993 kart field versus the bottom of the 2021 kart field, the gap between the top right. and the bottom now is much narrower right. than the haves and have-nots of that era. Right. right? And, I mean, there's, and
3: there's a dozen guys that can win races this year. Yeah. Alex
1: uh, Pillow won this week. He did. I mean... <laughs> who knows? Who, who'd have thought And that? he's in the 10 car, which has won championships with Dario and t- it won races with Rosenquist and Kanaan yeah. and Weldon. But honestly, that but, car had
3: not been really... Yeah. I mean, it had won one race since, since 2012. Two. A two. It won Kanon. Rosenquist last oh, year. Rosenquist. and Kanon. Thank yes. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you.
1: That's all right. We forget
3: the error of recent. You know, I, what I remember a lot more about the eighties than yeah. I do last week.
1: I know I, I same, same problem. <laughs> if I, if I wasn't paying attention to it this week, I would have completely forgotten as well. All right, Zachary.
2: I mean, I've got nothing. I'm just a bureaucrat. Um, during the day. So, uh, Ellen K. Pay your taxes. Keeps you yeah, happy. Yeah. Uh, Ellen K. For your beef and, uh, Beehive Body Company, my cousin's place. Check those out. Um, for your, uh, Uh, body care products there you go well i'm excited next week i believe we do have daryl
1: radford on uh, formerly of the career times formerly of the indiana state senate uh we're gonna have he's gonna tell some stories and we're gonna have a lot of fun and uh and then we got a jesse riddle mark fultz thing coming
2: up here in a couple of weeks cool jesse can come fix my computer yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's
1: been down for three weeks with that we say thank you guys very much we'll see you next week
2: thanks for having me guys
3: of
1: course